Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode is brought to you by Pestex Pest Control. Ben with Pestex sprayed my house just last week. He takes every precaution, taking care to minimize touching any surfaces around our home. We had him do an add-on mosquito spray of our backyard right around the time that the mosquitoes were starting to get bad around here, and it took care of the problem. It worked. What I love is that Pestex is locally owned, they use pet-friendly products, and they don't have a one-size-fits-all approach. They'll evaluate every customer's pest problem and try to find the best way to solve it. To get in touch, call or text 806-433-8841 or look up Pestex on Facebook or Instagram. Today's guest is Mugisha Ame. Mugisha is a recent Texas Tech graduate who returned here to Amarillo to work as a mechanical engineer. He grew up in Amarillo after his family arrived in the United States from Tanzania when he was in middle school, or at least middle school age. Before that, they spent several years in a refugee camp. So he found himself in the United States with no real school experience and not knowing any English. But Mugisha became a really successful student, especially after he arrived at Paladura High School. He's got a fascinating perspective on our city and the United States as a whole, and I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. Here's Mugisha Ame. Mugisha, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for being here. I'm, I hope I don't butcher your name. I, I try to say it as, as well as I can, but uh, I'm glad you're here. We're on my back porch, yeah. uh, which is where I've been recording in recent weeks. Um, it's, it's a relatively cool morning so far. It's not a 107-degree day yet. Definitely. So, <laughs> yeah, it's nice. Uh, I appreciate you being here. I'm really eager to hear your story. And so I want to start where I start with all of my guests, mm-hmm. uh, which is, why are you here? How did you end up here in Amarillo? And I, I suspect your story may be a little bit more interesting than some other stories I've heard. My story uh, begins when my family receive a, um, a visa to come to America because they were they received asylum uh, from Africa, Tanzania in 2008. And uh, so when we were moved to a refugee camp uh, in 2008 and stayed there for about two years, uh, where I wasn't receiving pretty much like anything, such as like education, any support, uh, we were there. We were a little bit behind because normally the, that refugee camp was pretend for people to stay there for a few months, then come here. Right. But there was uh, some difficulties to our case that was holding us back. So by the time I actually came to America in 2010, I arrived and we didn't know anybody because my family was just a little bit, my, my family was the only one that was a little bit having issues with their process coming here. Okay. So when we actually came here, uh, we didn't have much of guidance at first because they didn't expect us to be, you know, to be arriving anytime soon, right? Tell me so, about your family at that point. I mean, before we get into the arrival, like, mm-hmm. how big was your family? So when my family and I came here, I have three sisters, and I had two, uh, one little brother. Okay. Uh, but as of right now, I have two uh, little brothers and three sisters. But yeah, when we first came here, I was at age 13, uh, the oldest out of uh, uh, five siblings, and... Um, yeah, it it was it was truly difficult because uh, for my parents, you know, they never been to school. We didn't neither one of us speak English at the time, and so here we arrived to this great country. You know, we we were told Americans like 
like it was like heaven on earth. Like that's mm-hmm. that's like that was your perception yeah, that is, coming in before you got here. Exactly. That was exactly how you know people that came here before us will say, "Hey, Mugisha, guess what? In America, it's like literally heaven on earth. You have free food, you have place to sleep, you know, safety and everything." And those things were one hundred percent true. You know, okay. uh, for me, yeah, I was going to ask, did yeah. it match? Did the reality match that dream that you had? Yes, the the hype and the stories were true. However, when we first got, I mean, when we first arrived in America and had to go through the, through the difficult of language barrier, especially for my parents, they're like, "This is this is harder than we thought." You know, because I think my one of my sister got sick in this hotel they had put us in. Uh, and my parents didn't know anything, but they just called 911 and said, hey, my child is sick. So uh, I remember that memory, and I remember how my parents just felt like literally lost. They didn't hmm. know what to do. Where did you first arrive? Where, where did you live we first? Ended, uh, we landed in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. And they put us in this hotel for like a couple of weeks because they couldn't figure out where we were supposed to go. And my father uh, was able to reach one of his friends that was living in Providence, Rhode Island, right? And he said, hey... We're here, but we don't know anybody here. So do you mind getting the uh, immigration process that's over there to come get us, move us to Rhode Island? And we will, we will move from that hotel to Providence, Rhode Island, where I went to middle school. Okay. The first time I went to uh, school ever in eighth grade over there in Providence, Rhode Island. And um, while we were there, my dad realized that he didn't, like the job he was working wasn't paying him enough. Uh, and we were given all these, you know, uh, government support such as food stamp. They will even pay for our apartment. I mean, our, yeah, our apartment we were living in. They were paying for almost everything. And my dad, it wasn't that he wasn't okay with it, but he, um, I always saw my dad like, you know, dream and go get oriented person. Mm-hmm. So he started talking to people that was here in Texas, say, hey, how's it going on Marito? And what is, you know, the jobs you have, how they pay you, how well is it, you know, take care of you guys. And so, he, you know, he hears about Tyson and he says, hey, guys, I'm going to leave you here for now. I'm going to go to Amarillo, Texas. Now he doesn't know any, you know, anything really here besides some of his friends that were already here. Yeah, so he had friends here. Yeah, he had friends here. Uh, my dad is, uh, I consider my dad more of like a social person. Uh, than myself. Okay. He has a lot of, lot of connection almost everywhere. So he moves here, I think, in 2000, I think right at the end of 2010, if not 2011, at uh, the beginning of 2011, and he comes here and he works for like a few months. He says, "Hey guys, I, I think Amarillo is a place for us." Okay. Uh, so my mom and I were, uh, and my siblings were still in Old Island, living in the three bedroom apartment, right? And when we were there, we were like the the furnitures and stuff that were there that were like donated to us by this. So it's crazy to think about it, but it's literally similar to like uh, Amarillo Habitat O. Where they have all these like furniture right. that we use, but still good in, in good conditions. Right. So they will give to the new immigrants that will come in here, and uh, we would live. We were, that's what we had in that apartment where we were living in Rhode Island, and uh, so uh, fast forward. So in 2011, my dad says, "Hey guys, go ahead and move here. I think we can do it. I think we can just move here to Amarillo, and uh, I will work where I'm working. I'm getting paid well enough to." Take care of you guys here. Better and that was at Tyson? Is that mm-hmm. where you got yeah, a job? He was working, okay. Yeah, he was working at Tyson. He says, I can take care of you guys with uh, with the way that I'm working here and the way I'm getting paid. So we moved here, and we lived in another bed, uh, three-bedroom apartment, uh, actually, on the north side of town. I went to Paradero High School. Okay. Uh, and while Were you in high school by the time you moved? I mean, were, were I, you... I moved right after I just graduated middle school. I graduated okay. from uh, Providence, Providence or Dialand Middle School, and... Uh, 
right after that, uh, my dad's like, literally, hey, we're not going to wait for the next year to start. So get everybody moving here. So we drove, I think, 27 hours. Hmm. He hired some guy to drive us. Because okay. he didn't have money to like fly us over here yeah. or pack almost. Our, I think we only like packed what we could wear. And then he was like, everything else we're going to figure out was going to be gay. Because to us, um, I think like, you know, clothes, shoes, and uh, and like, couches and stuff like that we we never get used to, we weren't used to those things if that mm. makes sense and so to throw them away not to throw them away but like to say we're gonna take what we can carry and go right that was common for us you know we lived in all these refugee camps since we arrived in tanzania you know from my parents so for example my parents are from burundi and rwanda so when they ran away from the wars that was going on in their country they went to um, uh, they went to Tanzania with nothing, you know. So they were used to just literally just take off and go. You know? Okay. You so know? your parents were originally from Burundi. Yeah, my father was from Burundi and my mother was from Rwanda. Okay. And uh, I was actually born from Congo, but because the Rwandan genocide that happened, right, right uh, that forces them to, because they were living in Congo as asylum as asylum seeker there for the for the Congolese protection, so to speak, but. When the war took off from Burundi and Rwanda and took into Congo, they were forced to run to Tanzania, right? And so here, my parents are literally running to Tanzania where they don't know, you know, in this another country again, then, you know, Tanzania, they speak Swahili and they speak um, English, right? So my parents had to learn Swahili, you know. Hmm. They had to learn like what I call street language, you know, just enough to survive. Right. Yeah, pretty much. So like my parents could speak like not educational Swahili, but survived, you know, they were, they were, doing some businesses with the, like Afri- uh, uh, Tanzanian people uh, in language that was like common denominator because here my parents speak Kirundi, right? And then like they would say a half of Swahili and my parents would speak, you know, a half of Kirundi to connect, to say, hey, I need this and you need this, right? And they kind of like invented their own languages. That's one of the things, you know, when people ask like, what language do the African people speak? Mm-hmm. Many of the languages they speak is like, tribal languages that's created out of nowhere because people are trying to find a way to communicate, if that makes sense. So uh, so, so what we, languages do you know? I mean, did you grow I spe- up? Yeah, I grew up speaking uh, Kirundi, which is my parents' language. Now, Kinyarwanda is similar to Kirundi, but that's the language that if I speak Kirundi or Kinyarwanda to somebody, no, if I speak Kirundi, someone that speaks Kinyarwanda, they can understand me, okay. right? Uh, and it's pretty much the same. But then Tanzania speaks Swahili, right? Right. So I learned how to speak Swahili, not an educational way, but like through friends. So I, I can, you know, if I hear a song in Swahili, if I communicate, I can I can speak enough to survive. Okay. That makes sense, right? Say something to me in Kirundi. Kirundi. Uh, so I can say, I'm a kuruyawe. So that, ends, that, that means, how are you, right? Okay. Uh, and then, habarizako, it's in Swahili, so... Uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie uh, Lion King. They yeah. say Hakuna Matata. Right. Right. I always. I, I assume <laughs> that people in Tanzania or who speak Swahili don't walk around saying Hakuna Matata. <laughs> we don't walk around saying that, but it's funny because every time that I feel like every time I say I speak Swahili, they're like, "So what does Hakuna Matata mean?" Yeah. I'm like, it means no worries. Because that's what the movie says, right? But if you, but speak, nobody says that. Nobody there. really, yeah. Nobody really goes around and says, "I say Hakuna Matata everywhere," right? So, but yeah. So when I watch that movie, you know, I actually feel like I'm home a little bit because hmm. it's like, whoa, they speak my language. Okay, you know, I, I've talked to a, a number of educators yeah. um, when speaking about the refugee population mm-hmm. or the immigrant population. You know, so many schools mm-hmm. on the north side of Amarillo. Mm-hmm have students who've come from a lot of different countries Definitely. and come like you did with mm-hmm. without 
English. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've heard from educators about that challenge. I'd like to hear from you as a kid, you mm-hmm. know, who showed up here in middle school, didn't know the language, and suddenly you're thrust into a school system, you know, whether it was uh, when you were in middle school or even after you arrived here in Amarillo and went yeah. to Paladuro. Like, how long did that take you to to become comfortable enough with English that you felt like you could do the work in a class, you know, that you were capable of, of learning things? What was that like? Yeah, the process was uh, definitely difficult. I remember, you know, like the first, you know, the first year when I was in middle school, you know, I go to school and I'm like, well, actually my first day, now Lodina in the snow is really, really bad, right? I wake up in the morning, I'm like, why is there so much stuff, white stuff all over the front, right. you know, the front porch? Because I couldn't understand it. Like, I never seen snow in my life. But then I see all these kids walking through the snow, going to the bus station, right? And then, so I go to school and I, I don't speak any language and I have all these Teachers literally say, this, 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 like, take all these stuff. This is all your assignments. And I'm like, I don't know anyone. Like, I had no idea what they were saying. Like, nothing. I was clueless of what they expected of me, what they wanted me to do with with all this work they were giving me, right? Um, But then I remember in my English class, uh, which was like a funny thing, because in my English class was the one class that I felt it was more important than any other class. Right. I did not care about any other class, like social study, any science class, I, math. I, math, I didn't care for it, but I understood it better, if that makes sense. Math was like, they solve it, and I see how they do it, and I'm like, okay, right. I can follow that, right? But social study class, I was like, what are you talking about? I have no idea, right? And so, like, they teach me the U.S. history, and I had no idea what the language, you know, I didn't understand anything they were saying. So, but my English class was more important to me because I felt like, uh, I never wanted to feel the way my parents felt when, when my sister got sick and they couldn't call 911 because they couldn't speak yeah, English. Yeah, that helplessness. Yeah, the helplessness. It was, a, it was a, a, I felt like that was the lowest I ever want to be in when it comes to communication, right? So it became very clear to me. And it was so easy for me to understand that if I speak English, I can get anywhere in life. That was it, right? So here I put that in my mind. And then like, so in my English classes, I was able to kind of like follow, you know, um, and I was putting in this like, now as an immigrant student, they don't, care how old you are they don't care of this and that if you don't understand the english they say hey this is how old you are this is the level you're supposed to be in and go for it and see right. what happens right so i'm like okay i'm in eighth grade and i literally have zero reading skills and i have zero writing skill because again i never been to school before right but the teachers that i had uh the, the teacher that i had encountered with in the, all my english classes i don't know why but they're always able to connect with me automatically for some reason it was like Hey, like, we know you're struggling. Like, they were able to understand. I couldn't understand anything. So, mm-hmm. when they were talking to me, they were definitely able to, like, break it down. Now, in Providence, Rhode Island, they have a system for, like, college students. Uh, Brown University over there in Rhode Island uh, has students that come to immigrants' kids and try to teach us home. Okay, so, so I, like, yeah, personalized tutoring or personalized something. Personalized tutoring, which was amazing because I met. Uh, they were, we were given like four tutors for uh, two of my sisters, no, three of my sisters and one for me, right? And so these tutors would come in every day after the classes, I think like in the afternoon around five or six, and they would spend the evening with us for like a few hours or three hours, you know, going over our school assignments and try to teach us English. I still have one of my note, uh, my little journal that one of my, well, the only tutor that I had are there she used to kind of teach me English. You know, she would draw, like she would draw pictures like of a human body standing, right? So you say, this is an arm, this is a head, this is this, like this part of the body, right? And then she would use that 
and put like clothes on, like have like clothes pictures on, and mm-hmm. see like that's a T-shirt, that's a pants, that's this. So I was learning those little things, and it's crazy because when I was learning those things, I was watching a lot of Disney Channel uh, TV shows, especially right. like Cody and there was like I can't remember the other. Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. Yes, yes, I was watching. That I'm a parent of uh, <laughs> you know teenagers that are a little bit younger than you, so yeah, um, yeah I, I'm familiar with all the programming. <laughs> yeah, so I was watching that, and you know, I didn't speak English, but I remember the only reason I watch. Disney Channel shows or Nickelodeon shows, it was because the action they would do within the uh, the show. If that makes sense, it's like they would say, I'm going to punch you, and then they punch you. So okay. I knew, okay, punching means I'm easy to follow. It was easy yeah. to follow, right? And I was learning a lot of English, you know? And uh, so when I was watching those shows, so like I would spend all this time in school and I would spend all this time with the tour. And then when they leave, I did not do any schoolwork, literally, I just watched shows. So I would be watching all this televi- television and, um, and from there, I started picking up a little language, okay. right? So then I moved to Amarillo. Now in Amarillo, they don't have they didn't have that system of right. like tutoring, but um, like luckily enough, I still had in contact with the tutor that I had. So she became more of like a mentor to me than a tutor. Now that I moved to Amarillo, but so I would call her every now and then, like I'm struggling through school, or I'm, I'm I'll call her and say, you know, I'm I'm doing good or I'm not doing good. I'm somewhere in the middle, right? And but here in Amarillo was way it was much difficult, but it was it was little. It was much nice because they had a uh, AS, ESL programs, mm-hmm. a Paradero High School that I believe really helped a lot, especially when it came to uh, me doing my work in all my classes, me me feeling like they understood in every classes, like not a just English class, but like every class had that in uh, the ESL program incorporated in it for for guidance for like all these you know students from Somali, uh, Taiwan, Thailand. Okay. Uh, Tanzania, Burundi, and all these countries that's that's there, right? So I'm sitting in a class where, like, most of the students in there don't speak English. So I didn't mm-hmm. feel the pressure. Uh, I didn't feel like it was going to be as difficult sitting in a literally full-speaking English, you know, class, you know? Tell, but, me, tell me about high school as you, you know, you arrived here in Amarillo mm-hmm. not knowing anyone. You had lived in Providence, Rhode Island, and exactly. Atlanta, which are very different from here. Yeah. And at a school like Paladuro that's so diverse, you have so many students from different, you know, backgrounds. Mm-hmm. You've got kids who have grown up in the neighborhood and known each other forever. I mean, exactly. how did you fit in? Did you find yourself fitting in with other students who, you know, maybe had uh, come with refugee status or as mm-hmm. immigrants? Did you find yourself fitting in with, you know, kids from the neighborhood who had lived there all their lives? How, what was that like as a newcomer? It was, it was very... <laughs> It was very difficult and kind of like looking back, it's pretty interesting how the structure was. You know, high school, everybody has a little group and everything. Right, right. You know, they, they graduated, they went from Sam Middle School and they here, they graduated together. Now, I don't know anybody. I never went to middle school with these individuals. But you can't just say like all the immigrant kids hang out because they're from all different nations. Exactly. You know, right. you don't so, have anything in common with somebody mm-hmm. from Thailand. You exactly, know? right. So it was like that. So I remember like my, my freshman year to say my freshman year I get here and I, I don't know anybody right so I don't know anyone but there was a gentleman that had a son that was going to Padilla High School that said they didn't remember me from high, from Africa right but I didn't really know them that well you know it was like hmm. somebody that I crossed paths with because they were fortunate to come here a little bit older than me so here I was literally tagging along I felt like I was tagging along with the like different uh, this group of his friends okay. so I was hanging but out but there's with, a group of, of like 
people from Tanzania in Amarillo. It's a, it's a they're, pretty they're, decent community, yeah, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a very mixed, because like most, it's, uh, I would look at it this way, like in, uh, when I was at Paradiro High School, was, so high school, you had, you know, Tanzanian students and you had Abunian students, those were like a little pack going, you know, because okay. they, they could communicate. If they don't speak Swahili, they'll speak Hirundi, and they were able to actually communicate, and friends, and the Somali kids, you know, and we had like Thailand kids, Taiwan kids, you know, Vietnamese students, you know, and those students who had their little groups, if that makes sense, right? So I was, you know, I was more with the group of like Burundian and Tanzanian people. Now, I didn't know most of the, 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 the kids that I was going to school with, but I remember, you know, my first year, you know, I'm tagging along and I started, you know, I felt like the pressure of like keeping them more of like doing good in my classes because I didn't really, like I still didn't speak war English, mm-hmm. but then I, uh, I had an interaction with one of my chemistry teachers, if not, yeah, my chemistry teacher, and she was reading my report, and she says, Mogish, I think you are different than the other students, uh, especially the student from your, from your country. And I said, why? She says, Mogish, you never late to class, and you don't take pleasure in uh, getting into these fights. Because most of my, my, what I call friends at the time, were literally, you know, fighting during lunchtime. Because it was common, because here, they, you know, went from middle school to high school together. So, right. they, they, you know, fighting was, like, normal. You know, every other day was, like, they going outside and just fight, right? And she would say, i never seen you, you know, getting sent to detention, all these, you know, uh, going, you know, for any student conduct you, you're doing at all, you know? So... Uh, she's like, hey, yeah, I think you're definitely different than every other students, especially that I have interacted with from your country, and I think you can do better, you know? And uh, I want you to know that, you know, when you write your lab report, I want to hear what you think, you know? And I want to know as much as you understand of my class, right? Hmm. And I don't, it don't matter if you don't write it right. It don't matter if your English is not that great on the paper, but I just want to see where I can help you. And... It was so weird because I started deviating myself from that group. You know, I started taking myself out of the social activity we do during the lunch or uh, into, like anything they were doing because they would like you know go to stores and go buy stuff, snacks, and I was like, I'm not gonna do that. I'm I'm waiting for my class to start. You know, we don't have yeah. like, I think 45 or 30 minutes for lunch time. So I was like, yeah, I'm gonna wait here and just go to class, right? And they started feeling like I was abandoning them uh, because they would tell me they were like, hey. Yeah, so you don't think you want to hang out with us anymore? And to me, that was clear because I didn't feel the need to defend my reason of not hanging out with them. Right. But I felt the need to do good, especially in my classes. So I think after my first semester of freshman year in high school, I said, okay, I'm going to be committed to just school. So when I, when I started focusing on school, the groups that I normally, you know, see in my preview, like my vision of like hanging out with, spending literally like, all my high school time with it just disappeared it was like hmm. one by one they just started you know going off and doing their own thing and then I started doing more of my school and then I started hanging out with students not because of their race or culture and this and that but more of it because like they're driving school right and that was like one of the biggest change I think I did at the time that made all the difference to where I'm at today because when I started hanging out with the students that I was studying with you know during lunch or students that I was in wrestling with because we care, I, I play wrestling in high school, so we care about our grades, you know, so when I was hanging out with the students, I was like, hmm, I can't just slack off and expect it to go to a tournament and wrestle, you know, so it was important to me to maintain my grades and to play sports, that's all that mattered to me at the time, right, and so when I started doing that, I started hanging out with, you know, kids from uh, Mexico and all these different countries, there were also, some of them were, 
have difficulty with English, right? So it didn't feel like I was going in a different zone of like friends-wise, but more of a like I was going into the right direction. Right. You know, the right Do you think direction it's people. Because, I mean, obviously you were a talented student and mm-hmm. your teacher could see that, mm-hmm. that drive in you and that yeah. responsibility maybe. Mm-hmm. But did it sort of help you see that about yourself? I mean, did it give you more confidence for oh, your teacher to definitely. say, this is what I see? Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, okay, this is, this is yeah. a path then that it I was, go It was on. crazy because, yeah, literally when she said that, I started seeing the same standards happening in almost all my teachers that I had. Actually, all the teachers that I had because it was crazy because I felt like when I heard that, I noticed that every teacher was trying to help me, if that makes sense. Like every teacher was trying to find a way of uh, helping me get as much as that I can in their classes, you know, especially like knowledge wise. So my English teachers, or they were always saying things like that, you know, hey, you can do better, you should do better, right? But I never hear it as well as I heard it because that time when I spoke with that chemistry teacher, she uh, said, hey, wait, at the end of the class, I'm going to explain to you, your labs looks great. I think you and your group are doing great, but I want you to kind of like put more over your words because I, will, I thought the labs were written as a group, so I was like literally writing what my lab group was mm-hmm. writing, right? And she was like, I want to see what you think too. Like, you know, I want, because I know that this is why everybody is literally writing. Let them write what they all, you know, what as a group, whatever. But I want to see what you think, right? And so I was like, she picked me out of the whole entire group of mine to explain that, that that's important, that uh, my own work matters, you know? And so when that happened, it, it, it made all the difference. It meant that she believes in me and she noticed that I'm trying, you know? And I never felt that way, especially when I was in middle school, besides, you know, the English teacher that I had that was like, you should, you know, you definitely get in there. You, you, I can understand you better now within a year being, you know, in like her class, right? So uh, my math classes just turned out to be that way. You know, I was the kid that studied during the lunchtime. I would study at home. And because of my English barrier, I never really felt, especially, you know, after my first, uh, my first year, my freshman year, I felt like every class had to do good. Because okay. here I am, because like after that time, I felt like, each teacher was like recommending it to me because when you know other students go to the concert, especially students from my culture, they just like, "What's next?" You know, they don't know what's next. Right. When I would go and say, "What's next?" My teacher would be like, "You haven't heard." Yeah, I'm in my concert. We're like, "You haven't heard," and she'd be like, "So, so and so, I recommend you to this teacher." So we already have your schedule set up, and I'm like, mm-hmm. "I mean, I know I was uh, okay doing good in class, but hey, to be recommended to different teachers that I'll be taking in the future classes was like high expectations for me. I felt like." They recommended me because they believe in my hard work, right? So when I went to that class, I didn't want to disappoint the previous teacher, no, the, the, the present teacher, right? So okay. that really raised my standards when it comes to school, right? And uh, it, it made all the difference, especially, you know, when I go home, I'll study. Uh, I'll still watch TV, you know, uh, like the Disney Channel and all that stuff. But this time was more of like if I had, a, you know, home, homework difficulties, I'll go home and I'll work on it and then I'll come to class and do that, and that helped me actually. You know, when I came, when when I graduated, you know, a part of Duro High School because uh, my last year I became one of the top ten percent of my class. Um, I went to like the superintendent stuff, and all of a sudden, like you know, I felt like all the students started knowing me. Uh, right. All the teachers they knew me, but they didn't realize how much work I was putting in. Right. Right. So like I, you know. Uh, I helped, I don't know if you know Shine People, she was the Teacher of the Year of 2015. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I worked with her, additioning to the, uh, to the Teacher of the Year, a lot of the essays and a lot of the interviews that uh, we did uh, at, the, at the Global Center. Uh, I was there because she said, you want an example of what immigrant students could do with okay, their lives if, cool. they, if they decide to. And I, I was honored because I was like, wow, like here's this 
you know, outstanding teacher. She met the president, you know, and I was like, I'm working with her. So to me, that was more important to set the standard and example for my siblings, for my, for the people that's from my country or any other countries, you know, I felt like this doing good in school is paying off way than way more than I could actually thought of, you know, I never imagined that. So, so let's move out of high school after Mm -hmm. you graduated, um, in the top 10% of your class and began to think about college. Um, Tell me about that process. Did did you have an idea? This is what I want to do. This is sort of the the pursuit, um, the direction I want to go. Or did you know? I was first generation of college student, of course. When I graduated from Parador 2015, automatically I already knew. Okay, I knew I was going to be an engineer, but I thought I was going to be a petroleum engineer. That's okay. Funny, because when I went to a Marital College and I say, "Hey, I want to be a petroleum engineer," then I I spoke to the advisor and she was like, "Hey, I think you could do." mechanical engineer because the way you sound the way you, the, your interest sounds like but it's up to you so i'm gonna let you go think about it right and so this is a summer class i, I just graduated i think i graduated like within a week and then the next week i started summer class at okay AC. so immediately you started yeah, going to ac because when i went to the orientation that the high school put together i was told that i was the champion now i didn't understand what that meant when i went to Amero college but it meant that Amero college president wrestle uh larry hart larry hart he's like you going to be my student that I'm going to mentor. And I was like, whoa, hold on. Like, here I am, I don't know anything about college. So, and this, somebody, he's super important to the university, to the college. And he says, I'm going to mentor you. You know, the first few semesters there, he takes me to lunches, he discusses with me about my education. So like, I already fell the standards, same standards that I fell when I was in high school, literally just transferred to like Amaro College, hmm. you know, expectations of doing good in, in classes was there. And then, uh, and I felt the, the need and the wanted to do it. Like, I felt like this is it. Like, if somebody believes in me that much, I'm going to do it, right? So, and right after the two years, I said, I got to go. I got to go to Texas Tech. Uh, I decided not to go to WT uh, just because I was like, I don't know if I could receive. Because for me at the time, I think school matter. What, what school you graduate from matter more than uh, the degree. So I was like, I'm going to go to Texas Tech. Which Texas Tech has a really strong mechanical engineering program. Mechanical engineering program. So I'm like, yeah, I already looked up all that information. I was like, let's go do this. So I go to Texas Tech, spend two and a half years there. Uh, I was very lucky. Uh, I never had to, I was very lucky with uh, good friends. I had uh, four of my friends that I considered them brothers. I lived with them for two and a half years when I was there. Uh, Never problems at all. We were. I feel like, like I said, brothers, literally, you know, we were all mechanical engineers. Two, uh, two of us were mechanical engineers, uh, chemical engineer, and electrical engineer. So we didn't do any slacking. It was like business. We, yeah. we went, worked hard, get through with our degrees, move on. It was a really smart household. You had <laughs> yeah, that was it. That was a format of us. And when, we, when you were at tech and, and thinking about graduation and, you know, knew when that was coming, did you ever think, okay, I'm going to... I'm going to take off and go work someplace else? Or did you always have in mind that you would stay in this area, that you might end up back in Amarillo? It's funny because I thought I was going to go anywhere that somebody gives me a job the whole entire, the whole entire time I was going to tech. Because you'd lived in so many different places. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. But when I was there, so I'll go to the job fair, you know, and, I, and, and I'm like, I think I'm going to stick in Amarillo because here, you know, I have my siblings, my family and everything. So I was like, returning home is not a problem, you know. And my parents were happy to see me. And this time it was going to be a little bit different because I feel like throughout my whole entire life, I mean, entire time since I, be, I came to America and went to school, school was the only thing that, 
you know, that was in my mind. Mm -hmm. I never really spent a lot of time with my family. So I was like, yeah, this is a good opportunity for me to actually watch my little brothers grow up, right? And not only that, you know, I feel like America gave me so much, you know. I met uh, uh, Linda Dominguez, who is one of the sponsors that helped us when we were moving to Texas Tech, me and okay. my roommates that I consider brothers. And she took care of us for the whole first year. My parents, they didn't even know where we were living in, you know. Most of our, actually, our parents, they didn't know where we were living in Lubbock. Alina Dominguez was the one that, you know, she came in. And she was at AC. Yeah, at she's time. at Amaro College faculty. I worked for her in one summer, and then she's like, you, go, you guys going to take? I'm going to do as much as that I can to help you guys with the transition. Uh, I believe three of us were first generation, so we didn't know hmm. anything about college. We didn't know anything about university. So she's all here, like, providing everything we need from, like, financial support to, like, any... Um, new housing and furnishes that we need. So it was a very, very humble thing that she did to us. Like we felt like this is amazing. Like how can somebody care for so much, hmm. so much for our dreams and see us succeed than we ever thought. Like we never imagined that. Like it was, it was incredible, right? So we moved there and she took care of us for the first uh, two years, I would say. Uh, and she continued, she connected us with some friends that she had over there. We had a, uh, we had a friend there of hers, that, uh, Megan, uh, she would cook for us every Sunday. We'll, we had a family meal. We go to a okay. dinner table, and that was important to us because just to make sure you guys were eating well, you know, exactly. college students and stuff. Yeah, she was taking care of us, and uh, that was super important because here we were stressed about school transition and everything, but we felt brotherhood, like a home and an apartment. But then we felt family because we would go to that family and share dinner and uh, go watch their kids grow up. So it was so much important. It was so important to us to have that kind of support, right? And so. Uh, we both graduated, I believe, uh, three of us graduated in, in December. The other young man, David Chaparro, he graduated in May, uh, this past May. Okay, so you graduated December 2019. December 2019. Okay. And so uh, we got jobs right after we graduated, which is important because we were like, we were worried, like, you know, because especially in the engineering industry, it's like you need that connection to speak with people. You need that, that connection of people that can, you know, uh, hire you based on your integrity and all that good stuff, right? So we, we I was honored to, you know, come back in the Marine and work here, you know. And my other roommate, he, you know, he got a job in Dallas. The other one is continuing school a little bit. And at the moment right now, I'm also continuing my master's in, math, okay. uh, in mathematics. So all these things is just, it's just it's a sign of like how much, like I feel, I give a lot of thanks to the people that I met in the Marino. Right. You know, and that's one of the key reasons that I returned here. I want to ask you a couple more questions mm -hmm. before we wrap this part up. Yeah. One of the things that I'm interested just in hearing your perspective on is I know that your family was a recipient of a Habitat for Humanity house. Okay, yeah. And I know a lot of my listeners likely know the great work that Habitat does. They mm -hmm. may have volunteered and helped build houses. Yeah. Um, I, I've never really had the opportunity to think about it from the perspective of someone who received one and mm -hmm. lived in one. Mm -hmm. um, tell me what that was like and a little bit about how that happened. It was incredible. And at first, my father, uh, when I was going to high school, he came home and he's like, hey, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to submit the application for Habitat for Humanity Service uh, and see if we're going to receive a house, right? So he submits the application and at this time, I still didn't speak well English. I didn't happen with the okay. application. So that was pretty early? That was pretty early on. I think it was like 2013. Okay. Right? So I still, like, I could speak English, but not enough to, like, write it. Some kind of, like, or fill out a form that was that important to my parents, you know? Right. So I was, you know, he had a few of his friends that have been here that's been, that's living here for a little bit longer than us. 
helped him with the process. So we get through the pro- he got through the process. So he tells my mom, hey, every Saturday we gotta go put in our hours. So the way it works is like, I believe at the time it was 500 hours okay. of uh, volunteering hours. So you help other people build their other people's house with 500 hours. And once your 500 hours are here, they're gonna say, hey, it's your time to decide to design your house pretty much, right? They'll tell you, hey, this is how big your house is going to be. Tell us what lights you want, the doors you want, and all these stuff, right? So they they, they put a, they laid out like a format, uh, a, a template of what your house is going to be. Uh, and from there, they say, okay, we, do you like what you see? And if you say yes, then they started, you know, putting the house together. I built my house. Hmm. I tell people all the time, they're like, oh, how? You know, I was there when the first, you know, um, when they dig the holes and put the concrete and then start the first wood, the roof and all that stuff. All the, throughout the whole process, my family was involved. We were, we painted the house. We we literally did everything just like we did it for other houses before us, right? And um, when when the house was done, you know, they were like, okay, here you go. This is your key. Uh, they give us two, two keys, which at the time I thought it was exciting because I was like, whoa, you know, because for me it was like just one key is enough, you know. Yeah. It's a house, man. You can share it. <laughs> we can share many it, people. Right? But they, they make sure we got two keys and it was like, it was exciting. It was truly amazing. So here we get in, you know, we get into this new house. It has five bedroom, you know, house. Uh, like I said in the past, it's like, you know, I never had a house like that, you know, from refugee camp where I had zero, you know, I never had a like a, a house in Africa in general, right? And then to here where I lived in a three-bedroom apartment with my, now we have eight people in my family, right? So I'm like, this is, you know, this this is, this is was difficult to live in an apartment with three-bedroom apartment, right? But now we have this five-bedroom house, you know, everybody's comfortable. Everybody's, that you'd put in the work on. It, I mean, yeah, you, yeah, you guys worked hard for that house. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that house was, uh, it was like, uh, it was very... It was time-consuming at first because uh, to get 500 hours, I had I had to start going too. So mm-hmm. I was my dad every now and then he jokes about it. He says, "Yeah, I remember you waking me up for like to go do that." Even though he was the one who started it, I I, I took it very important. I took it I took it very serious because I recognized how important that was yeah. to him. You know, my, like like I said, the only reason my one of the many reasons my father moved to Amarillo was to. Um, to buy a house. That was, hmm. you know, everybody have the American dream, but I think my daddy's American dream was to purchase a house. Okay. You know, so as of right now, you know, um, once you get the house, they, you know, you pay, they tell you how much the house costs and you pay it off. Uh, you pay it off in time. Uh, you, you make whatever payment you're comfortable with. So at the moment right now, my parents actually finished paying off the house, you know, and uh, they're living there and they like the house. They modified the house to however they want to be, you know. Uh, uh, and I mean... And that's one of the things that we liked about Habitat for Humanity. It's not, it wasn't strict, it wasn't tricking anyone. At first, we, you know, we were like, this is not real, you know? Yeah. But then you leave What's there the for, catch here? What's yeah. the catch here, right? But then you leave there for a year, two years, and you realize it is what it is. You know, you got a house. You got to take care of your house. It's your, it's your own house. And uh, to my dad, you know, to my dad, that was everything for him. That was the American dream. And to me, that was important because uh, I took that as like, Anything is possible, hmm. you know. So here at the same time we got the house, it was the same time I was getting ready for college. I'm starting to think, you know, i got to go to college because if my parents can achieve their dream of buying a house, why not me yeah. go to Yeah, what's school? my dream? Yeah, what's my dream, right? So 
I give a lot of thanks to Amara Habita for, for, for the work they do. And not only that, the volunteering people that I met there, because I met some you know, people that were helping me that I'm still in contact with in the, men, in the mentoring manner, okay. right? I asked them, how did you do it? And why did you do it? Because I want to understand how somebody can be that great you know, to somebody else. You know, they were coming in, putting hours that my family was responsible for. You know, right, that they're not going to receive anything from. They're, it's it's all for someone else. Exactly, right? So I, uh, I I reach out every now and then to them and I say, hey, I, I really thank you for what you did because you didn't have to do that. You didn't, uh, even to this day, I, you know, I asked Habitat for Humanity, I want to help out. I want to be that person. I want to be the guy that goes back and say, hey, I want to help out with the houses you're working on. You know, with the COVID-19 that's going on, it's been a little bit different, but I still feel the the, the drive and the wanting to, go and participate and help them because I re- recognize how much they do for the city. You know, my neighborhood, we only had like three houses on that line. But if you drive to my neighborhood right now, they have like almost like nine, ten houses right now. Hmm. And they're all built within the, since 2015 to now. Okay. So they're all new houses and they're wonderful houses. Everybody that lives in them are truly happy. It's it's funny because if you if you drive in the, in the back alley of those houses, everybody because they're from different cultures, they like to farm little gardens. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's so weird because my mom has some corn gardens outside, and like the next house has like beans or something. So they have all these little gardens, which I think it's beautiful to right. me that they they love their houses that much to actually. It's I feel like what they do in the backyard is like the decoration of the house. Say this is my house, so I'm going to like do everything that I couldn't do when I was living in apartment. You know what I mean? So they have you know. Pets. They have their uh, gardens. They have, you know, raising some little, you know, um, there, you know, some animals that they want to raise in the backyard, and that's like, that's beautiful. That's like, that's how you know. I think that's a sign of like happiness for them, you know, okay. for parent, for my parents' wives too, because I can tell that's what matters to them. It's like being in control of your house and say that I can do this or that. This episode is sponsored by Lazy Boy Home Furnishings in Amarillo. You probably know Lazy Boy as a national brand, but some of its stores are independently owned and operated. And the one in Amarillo is owned by the Hawkins family. They live right here in town. So Lazy Boy is open for business right now, and almost everything they sell is American-made, and it's a lot more than just recliners. Visit Amarillo's locally owned Lazy Boy Home Furnishings today at 3636 Sansi. Hey, Amarillo is also sponsored this week by Shimon Dental Group and Dr. Eddie Sauer. Summer is the perfect time to straighten your teeth with Invisalign liners. And Dr. Sauer is a national speaker on Invisalign. We're, we're really lucky to have his knowledge and expertise around here. And he's got my son Owen in Invisalign. We're almost to the end of that process. It's worked great. Their office continues to practice safety precautions the same ones they've always used to stop the spread of disease, and Shimon Dental will continue to be one of the safest places in Amarillo. To learn more, visit shimondental.com. That's S-H-E-M-E-N. Okay, I'm back with Mugisha Ame. So, Mugisha, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions as my guest. You get to answer those in as much detail as you want to. I ask a lot of these same questions okay. to... Everybody who I sit down with. Uh-huh. Um, so the first one, I, I wanted to ask you, what's one thing that the last few months, whether it's uh, the protests or the pandemic, you know, it's been a very tumultuous few months here mm-hmm. in our nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if there's one thing that this process has revealed to you about Amarillo or about Amarillo people. To me, it has revealed to me that Amarillo people do care about what's going on. But especially with the COVID nineteen, uh, but 
there's a lack of action into protecting themselves. Okay. Now, I may contribute to some level too as a person that lives here, you know, because I think with everything that's going on, uh, it's time to kind of like pause and uh, and I don't see that as much as that I wish that will happen, you know. So there's a pause that's needed, especially with that, you know, COVID-19 to see how we can protect all, uh, everybody, you know. And then when it comes to protesting, uh, uh, you know, as an African person, I feel like that's something that I never witnessed before to the level as it is today. Mm-hmm. You know, I read about it, Martin Luther King. You know, I've I, I, I seen movies about it, but I never realized how bad it is. Mm. You know, so it, it became much clearer to me to see that it's been a, a difficult thing that America has dealt with for a long time that it needs to continue to be discussed and needs to continue to be worked on in all areas. Right now, you know, they're talking about the police are the reason that this is happening, but I think it's uh, every area, you know, I think it's important for everybody to learn different, uh, different people, uh, different culture, different mm-hmm. ethnicity, different race, you know, because to me, I never experienced that because all my life I traveled, you know, I lived in different culture, different environment, different tribes. So I'm already able to adapt different okay. cultures, if that makes sense. So I think that's what, People, uh, if I re- if if anything with everything that's going on with the protests, I think if I, what I learned the most is like people need to start accepting each other and then instead of learning about each other, because the more you know about somebody, the more you know about this race or that race, the better you can treat them. That's all that matters to me. I think that's that's one thing that I noticed is like it's lack of knowledge in every race. You know, there's a lot of assumptions of what. Black people are not, you know, there's a lot of assumptions of what white people are not, not. Right. You know, so instead of doing those assumptions, let's not do that. Let's, let's learn each other. Let's talk about it. You know, why, why not, you know, when you get off work, you're hanging out with your friends, why not ask them, what kind of difficulties do you experience as a black person? What kind of difficulties do you experience as a white person or Mexican person? Any race deserve that, that honor. Uh, I think everybody wants to be known and everybody deserve the right to be listened to. Hmm. And, uh, uh, and, with what we're seeing, you know, what's going on with the protests, I think it, there's a lock in that area. And I think that it became clear to me with, you know, the protests that I was like, wow, I thought, you know, I thought this was clear. You know, hmm. like I said, I went to Padre High School, different diversities. I don't think I would have went, like, I, would, I don't think I would have as great time and be able to focus on school if I felt that the school was uh, was discriminated in some right, ways. Right. So there's a there's an impact that we can create as an individual's that we, when we learn other cultures, like I think by understanding each other, right, by helping each other and learning about each other, then we prevent the people from feeling uh, the feeling the need to be angry or upset about other things. You know, I just actually did a research on school dropout where I recognized that race matters. You know, and yeah. that was shocking yeah. to me because when I was going to high school, I could never fathom how people drop out of school. It's free school. Right. So when, you know, when I look back and I say, wow, like race didn't make all the difference because going to school, feeling like you are not equal as everybody else, it does make you feel like, what am I doing in school? If I'm going to go to school and still be treated as if I'm not equal, then, you know, this is not worth it. So that was something that was shocking to me because here I am, I'm thinking, you know, everybody got the free opportunity. Why not do it? But then it became clear to me that, uh, and like, the research also was based on that. I was like, I want to understand why it's going on, but I think I wanted to start it from the educational perspective. Okay. And so, but yeah, at the end of the day, I think the key to it, it's 
learn about each other. Do the best you can learn about your neighbor, your coworkers. And if you have a question, I think the worst thing is to do is assume that somebody's this particular person without asking them. Right, right. I think the worst thing you can do, I mean, the worst thing that can happen when you ask somebody, hey, hey, how is life for you as a, you know, African-American or a white person or a Mexican, Asian, how is it like your day-to-day life? Because it's crazy, like everybody experienced some type of racism in some way. Everybody. It doesn't matter what race you are. That's the way I was always. So learning it, learning about each other, it will help everybody find a source of ground to protect themselves, to uh, stay safe, and to actually have a community environment. I, I like to think of Marido as one of those places. I love Marido because I never felt... And I went to Lubbock, I never felt there was a community. Uh, maybe because I was a student there, but what I noticed here in Amarillo, for the longest time since I've been here, you know, it's, it's, it's odd because, like, the people from Burundi have this little, you know, meetings, this community they meet up and mm-hmm. they talk about it. So I go to Amarillo College and I feel that same community, you know. Students from different backgrounds are able to, you know, to, like, black out the racism I never experienced the racism when I was at Merrill College as a student, you know. I never experienced the racism when I was at Paradiddle High School as a student, you know. But then, you know, I go to different schools, like I go to Lubbock, and I'm like, wow. You know, you can tell the different, you know, the different environment there, you know. You can tell, like, okay, the communities, like, the people are in the community are living a different lifestyle than the, the people that's actually visitors, you know, if that makes sense, like students are like us. So, but here in Amarillo, I feel that, you know, anywhere you go, you will see people getting together and talk to each other. And I think that's the key component to understanding how this racism can come to an end. Okay. Well, I want to make a hard shift now. There's not a good transition here. But my next question is, what's your favorite local restaurant? See, I only been to this one, uh, this place one time. It's Coyote Bluff. I don't yeah, know, if you know what it yeah, is. Yeah, I know Coyote Bluff. I went it's over there. on Grand Street. Yeah, on Grand Street. I went there and I ate the biggest burger I ever had in my life. That was so good. I couldn't even finish, man. It was so good. But like, that's like my my. I think it's just because the fact it's like I don't know where super small. Mm-hmm. Like I just I just I just felt it like. Attraction to it. Okay, it, it that's that's a pretty legendary burger place in Amarillo, so yeah. that's a good choice. Um, okay, what does this area have too much of? I think there's a lot of tra- um, a lot of uh, constructions going on with okay. streets and low uh, highways and stuff. You're a mechanical engineer, though. As a mechanical Surely you see the value of that. <laughs> oh, definitely, yeah. So as a mechanical engineer, you know, I'm driving, I'm like, okay, I get that we're doing this for a greater purpose, but can we get a little bit faster? Yeah. You know, but the, I like the after look because, you know, on most street uh, highway, the I-40, they're working on that for like, I think like a few months or th- maybe uh, Probably the whole time you've been yeah. here in Amarillo, yeah. I imagine. Yeah, they were working on it for a long time, but then I passed by and it was beautiful, man. So like I look at that and I say, you know, that's why it's worth at the end. As a mechanical engineer, I can understand the, the art that goes into yeah. it. I think yeah. there's a beauty in like making our city look good. But uh, at the end of the day, I'm like, it's kind of like inconvenience if you try, you know, traveling through those highways. But overall, I think, uh, I think it's a good thing that they're doing that. I think okay. it's a great thing. What does this area not have enough of? I think we could use some extra mountains around the area. <laughs> I agree know? with that. <laughs> I think completely. <laughs> I think extra mountains would be great. You know, part of the canyon is great, but uh, I think it would be it would be great too. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll see what I can do about that. <laughs> um, how do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? Like I mentioned before, I think Amarillo is the community environment. You know, okay. I think 
the acceptance of everybody. Because I have, especially when I returned from school from Texas Tech, you know, because I, I was like, man, I need to, you know, kind of connect with my old friends and stuff like that. But then I realized that I don't have to do that really. I I can always find myself like, you know, my coworkers becomes my new community. You know, my my uh, my friends that I once knew, they have their own new friends that accepts me for hmm. who I am. So that that is something that I think it's all around. You know, we have uh, an environment where it doesn't matter your background, especially, uh, you know, when you go out there in the real world, I feel like you, everybody just we treats each other with respect. And that's that's what makes a community. It's uh, recognize each other's uh, differences and accepting one another. So, okay. Yeah. What's your favorite street in Amarillo? I'll say Houston Street. Okay, why is that? <laughs> I don't know, because I, I probably want to go to visit Houston someday. So I'm like, <laughs> one of these days I'll probably go to Houston. So I just, I just think it's, I think it's, it's a nice name of, uh, for a street. <laughs> and yeah, it, it just attracts you to that city then, right? Yeah, it okay, attracts so. you to the city, of course, yeah. All right. Well, uh, you know, you can go to, down Georgia Street and maybe it'll draw you back to Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia, right? <laughs> Washington Street. I mean, we've got a lot of Washington, those. right? Um, at least Houston's in Texas, right? Yeah, exactly. What's your favorite local coffee shop? Paula's Coffee. I went okay. there. I normally go there with a few friends every now and then. Just um, I don't drink coffee. <laughs> All my coworkers are like, whoa, how do you function without a coffee? I never drink coffee, really. I did one. In high, I drink I coffee once in high school. My teacher said, you were way too hyper for me. Don't do that again. <laughs> don't ever do that so again. So I was like, no, I'm not doing that again, right? So it was clear. But... I go to Palace Coffee and I'll sit there and maybe have a tea and hang out okay. with my friends. It's a very quiet, nice environment. So, yeah. All right. And the last question is, when was the last time you went to Paladura Canyon? You mentioned it just a little bit ago. Yeah, I believe I went to Paladura Canyon right after I graduated. I'll say December or January. Okay. So it's just last a, year then. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's been, a, it's been a minute. I like Paladura Canyon, but I don't think I want to go anytime soon right now. Especially with yeah, it's heat. a little warm in the it's summer. It's a little bit hot. But yeah, when I went, I think it was like a little bit raining every now and then. It's like a little muddy. I'm okay going through the mud a little bit. Okay. Because it's way too hot over there right now. It's like everything is super dry. So right, I'm like, oh right. man, I'm not going to survive. I, I remember my first time going to Paladura Canyon experience was actually funny because I never thought about it. I never went there. And uh, my friends were like, yeah, we're going to go to Paladura Canyon. You want to come along? I was like, yeah. So I was like, I was joking. I was like, I'm from Africa. I can't die of a heat stroke. Right. That's not. That's You're immune to that. I thought I was immune to heat, right? So I'm like, yeah, breathe. yo, you got, you can take water because you're so weak. You don't, you don't, you don't. I, I don't need water, right? So I get there. I'm like, hey, can I get water? As we climb through those all those hills, I'm like, uh, I think I need that water now. Yeah. They're like, we told it's you, man. It's way too hot. Too late at that point. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Magisha, the, that concludes the eight straight questions. The last thing I like to do is ask my guests to endorse something. So what is one thing that you would like listeners to know about or to experience here in this area? I like people to know about education programs. I think like uh, such as like Amaro College. Okay. Uh, I think like high school programs, any any educational programs that are out here to help people. I think it's worth uh, doing uh, some research into it and understand if you're a parent understand what your kid is going to go such as like WT or Texas Tech Camaro College understand that the, when they go to pursue this degree they need you they need you as a resource you know they need you as a guidance right and uh, another thing I would like to endorse is Amaro Habitat for Humanity okay. for a lot of immigrant students they face the difficulty of accepting that they deserve to be helped you know and because you know um, 
this country to many of us, I feel like I'm in debt of giving back because of what I've been given, right? But at the same time, like, I think everybody, sh such a people like, you know, people who are lack of a resource of a purchase in a house, but that really wants to get a house someday. I think they should do research on the Habitat for Humanity because okay. it's a great system. It's a great organization that to my parents, is my parents are forever grateful for what they have done for us. And for me as a student, as a, as a son to them, I felt honored to be in that program, right? Because they make sure that my dream came true. Like everything they did for my parents eventually helped me. Mugisha Ame, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Mugisha for the interview, to Angelina Marie for editing the show. Thanks also to Pestex, Lazy Boy of Amarillo, and Shimon Dental for sponsoring this episode. If your business is interested in sponsoring the show, or if you as an individual want to sponsor the podcast, please visit patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Supporters of Hey Amarillo include my executive producers, Katie Linger, Neil Nossiman, Jess Heredia, Ryan Pennington, Jennifer Callahan, Josh Wood, Joshua Rafe, Chriselda, Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, Jason Burr, and Valerie Gooch. This has been episode 154. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>